What is up, Brad fans? First of all, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, and please do subscribe, follow, rate, comment, review, whatever you get your podcasts. Hey, tell a friend if you like what you're hearing. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at 2 brad for you. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear. Uh, and with that... Welcome to episode two of what I think I'm going to call Too Brad for Politics. Um, we're veering away from the natural sciences and into the political sciences. So once again, I was joined by my friends back in Canada for a panel discussion from everyday normal dudes who are interested in politics and want to get their opinions out there. Uh, it was a great, uh, great chat. Always a good time chatting with these guys. Uh, we start talking about uh, our home of Alberta, so a little inside baseball for people uh, outside of Canada. But um, we start there, move to Canada and their response to the pandemic um, and the sort of distribution of, of funds uh, for people that are out of work. Uh, which then led us to a discussion of, of course, what else? UBI, Universal Basic Income. Uh, and from there, we move on to the real juicy stuff, the American stuff. So we talked about, um, you know, the election, the primaries, Biden as a candidate. But we also talked about um, the role of kind of alternative media sources so you know big podcasts like joe rogan youtube stuff and it uh kind of went into a, a a discussion on these platforms and their responsibility um when talking about this kind of stuff whether it's the pandemic or politics or something like that so that was a a nice little tidbit that i maybe wasn't expecting but uh was really really fun to talk about so that's enough for me welcome to the show uh, Welcome to Two Brad for Politics. All right, welcome back, Brad fans. If you tuned in to hear something about science, you're in for something else today because we got the panel of regular ordinary dudes that are interested in politics both canadian and abroad my good friend steve up in calgary how you doing steve good good brad good to be here yeah and coleman representing the the north of the province of alberta uh over there in edmonton it's truly truly god's country up here thank you for having me <laughs> the frozen tundra that is northern alberta uh yeah like i said well this is a what the second episode of of our our dive into politics because we're all you know political nerds enjoy talking about this stuff we you know scott couldn't be here today we're down one member but we're going to soldier on without him and so let's start in alberta friends because if you guys don't know my uh my feelings on uh the current conservative government in in Alberta, um, they're not great. I'm not a huge fan. Um, that's obvious to anyone who knows me. And I think that, uh, you know, we could argue policy or, um, you know, fiscal policy, kind of ideology, that kind of stuff, um, in a fact-based way and disagree on how this government, you know, is positioning itself. Uh, however, 
I think that those arguments are kind of mute with the way that uh, the way that this government chooses to handle its business, we'll say. So I've compiled a list of uh, of events, situations, uh, actions that uh, to me paint a picture of, well, let's say corruption at its worst, incompetence at its best. And it all begins with, of course, election fraud. Uh, there was evidence during the uh, leadership campaign that the current premier, Jason Kenney, uh, ran a kamikaze candidate. And there's emails of this uh, between the two uh, campaigns outlining uh, talking points, prearranged dates to drop out. Uh, there was also numerous, numerous campaign finance violations and, of course, the ongoing RCMP investigation into voter and identity fraud by the Kenny campaign. Oh, yeah, and then they fired the elections commissioner, commissioner who was investigating that and who levied fines and had, uh, like I said, ongoing investigations into his campaign. Shall we move then to the war room? Need we say more? Well... Despite it being an absolute colossal waste of money, $30 million a year for a crappy website, Twitter feed, and poorly reported blog posts, it also perpetrated a series of embarrassing moves. There was the attacks on the New York Times that needed to be redacted and apologized for. Let's not forget the logo fiasco. Uh, after, which was after election fraud, um, another in move, another in a series of moves that appear to show a pattern pointing to corruption, which was handing out useless jobs to donors, such as the war room, uh, and uh, other friends that come with uh, high-priced salaries. Let's remember the war room was specifically set up to be unfoipable. That it is, that is, it is immune to Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act requests. These are the requests through which journalists and the public can ask for document documents and information about their government which means no one can know how or where the $30 million a year is being spent. And judging by the look of the offices and the state of the content, it's going somewhere, but nowhere useful. Then there's all the panels and inquiries that, as I mentioned, are filled with government-appointed folks, friends, uh, acquaintances, donors, who are tasked with seemingly coming up with information to support the government's agenda while leaving out anything that it doesn't. Uh, look no further than the inquiry into foreign-funded conspiracy against Alberta oil that was first proposed by the YouTuber Vivian Kraus. It's been largely debunked by several credible journalists that I've seen, um, and it's headed by a donor and a former law firm colleague of the Justice Minister, Steve Allen, who was, of course, appointed by the minister. And this led famously to the email gaffe where the minister's staff replied to journalists' requests about his appointment with messages meant for the minister requesting his input on which cover story to feed these journalists. This Mr. Allen later went on to award a $900,000 contract, sole source, of course, uh, with no bidding process to a law firm at which his son is a partner. Uh, the government reports on safe consumption sites was also a highlight for me. There's another example of these reviews producing preconceived conclusions with the report of the safety and the effectiveness of the sites failing to consult the police forces and actual crime statistics, both of which would support the continuation and the continued funding of these sites. Instead, they relied on surveys of public perception of crime in the area, and it doesn't take a statistician or data scientist to see how this could lead to overwhelmingly biased conclusions. 
For good measure, there's a fact that Kenny's brother once ran an unlicensed rehab camp for drug-addicted youth in Kelowna that was shut down due to reports of abuse and mistreatment. So I don't really trust trust his judgment or compassion for how best to help vulnerable communities add in the activities of his youth campaigning against dying AIDS patients, which he refuses to address or apologize for. And it doesn't paint a nice picture about the premier's thoughts on minority people in need. All of this is from a guy who complained about the decorum in the legislature during his election campaign, stating he would bring it back and uh, bring back some politeness and uh, uh, decorum to the legislature and then proceeded to hand out earplugs during opposition speeches regarding the government's imposed changes that would remove bargaining rights to the public sector workers after they limited debate on that bill. In another less than polite move, there was the fact that he made claims and accusations that the former government, the previous government, the NDP, lied about the state of the government finances, claiming that they were in worse shape than the NDP was letting on. And then several weeks later, quietly released a report contradicting this claim, a report done by his own government contradicting this claim, showing that the expenses of the NDP were down by 30 million while revenue, sorry, 300 million, while revenue had stayed, stayed the same. And to be clear, he definitely would have seen the information in this report before he made these claims to journalists. Uh, Then let's just move on to the constant scapegoating of either Trudeau, the federal government, the rest of Canada, the public health officer of Canada, the Chinese, insinuating and then walking back that the public health officer of Canada is somehow unduly influenced by the Chinese, unleashing high-paid issues managers and communications staff uh, to engage in social media arguments with constituents, doctors, journalists in and outside of Alberta, only to the then defend his own health minister who berated a doctor in person for something he didn't like on social media. That thing, of course, being a meme that calls out another example in this pattern of activity pointing to self-dealing and corruption, whereby the minister and his wife own a business that brokers insurance plans to cover things not covered by public health care. And guess who has a say on what isn't and isn't covered? The minister, of course, advised by these government-appointed panels. Then there's the stoking of separatism, calling journalists and citizens who question or oppose the ideology and direction of the government un-Albertan or un-Canadian, refusing arbitration rights and ripping up contracts unilaterally, which all of which highlights what I consider their disinterest in protecting workers, uh, which we can also see in the handling of the meatpacking plant outbreaks, which of course contains yet another link to the government in that a relative of the education minister sits on the Cargill Board of Executives. So, to be fair, many of these activities, or let's say generously coincidences, have either been dismissed by ethics overseers, um, but there is a case to be made against those decisions, or they've been brushed aside by the government, or, you know, in fact, they're not technically illegal. However, like I said, it points to a pattern of arrogance and activity that doesn't inspire in me any cover, any confidence that this government gives really two shits about the province and the people. And it's run by people, a guy, one guy in particular, whose only substance in his lifelong political career has been conservative trickle-down ideology, which is approved by the rich and powerful to maintain the rich and powerful. And for me, 
this is, even if you agree with this type of trickle-down uh, policy and and uh, ideology, which I don't, there's plenty of uh, econom economists and case studies out there that show that it, it's not good for the people. Um, I think that this is a terrible way to implement this policy, um, and it's being done by terrible people. That's my thoughts, we'll say, on uh, opinion on this government, and you can say that it's pretty biased, not very positive. So I'll throw it to you guys who are living in the province. This has, this has got me all steamed up, and I don't even live there. So I'll throw it to you guys, and you can agree, disagree, uh, call me a partisan hack if you will, but uh, let's go to Coleman first in Edmonton. What are your thoughts on your current government? Fan, not a fan? Do you have a, a highlighted list of likes and or dislikes? I wish I did have a highlighted list after that that opening statement. <laughs> Anything I say is going to sound foolish now. <laughs> um, I think you bring up a lot of good points on that. I think right now, it's kind of funny because you're seeing the same thing in Ontario. There's like two Jason Kenney governments right now. There's the one that comes out and announces very reasonable like health restrictions and stuff like that because of COVID-19. And you're like, oh, okay, that, that seems pretty reasonable. And then there's the one that is dealing, doing stuff in the background, like this uh, private health app app and stuff like that. And just a pattern of really shitty behavior that you're like, this guy's a lunatic. Like He shouldn't be in power at all. Um, I think they're following a playbook that the conservatives in Alberta have done for a very long time. It's uh, get a majority, conduct your business in the back room, keep your donors wealthy, and uh, just hope that oil prices go up. And this is kind of what they've been doing. Um, yeah, things, the Cargill plant thing was especially bad because that outbreak was clearly going to happen because there's no way to, like just the conditions inside a packing plant, there's no way to keep everyone healthy. And the fact that they let that get that bad is borderline criminal, if not criminal already. Um, yeah, so my, my opinion of the UCP government is uh, thumb, thumbs down. Two mm -hmm. thumbs down. Oh, two thumbs down. Okay. Two thumbs down. If I had a third, I'd put it in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be clear. The Cargill plant was is a meat packing plant, meat packing plant in southern Alberta, I believe. High, High River. High River. Uh, and so they, you know, there was worker concerns. The workers apparently there's documents and emails and stuff showing that the workers brought up concerns to management, saying we don't have proper protection in order to. Uh, work during the pandemic the government they didn't just bring it up like they were uh they would say that they tested positive and they'd be asked to come back to work yeah so yeah there's there was lots of it's it i'm just trying to make the point that it's not like these these things blindsided anybody it was out in the open that this was going to be like as you alluded to and they did send in they said they did a review the, the minister came in and the government minister came in and said they did a safety review which turns out was done by video conference um, and there was, you know, the workers obviously are pointing to uh, holes in that process. They said there it was fine. Everything's fine. Everyone should go back to work. Don't worry about it. And then two days later had to close down the plant because it became one of the largest outbreaks in the country. Um, but that's just to clear up that little point in case people who are maybe listening outside of Alberta are unaware uh, of all of this stuff. Steve, what do you think? Well, yeah, Brad, you had a great um, list tirade there that was awesome coleman you gave 
two thumbs down. How am I supposed to give, you know, up that? I don't have more thumbs. I don't, uh, I can't, I can't up the ante on either of you guys. So uh, let's just say, I think we, we're all going to pretty well uh, safely agree on this one. I don't, I know that doesn't make for entertaining podcasts, like where I should be like the crossfire guy and like, well, what, what about the other side guys? But uh, no, I just can't do it with these guys. So, uh, and I think um, the, I mean, I think uh, we're tempted to say with governments, or at least I am tempted to say with governments that they're all, you know, relatively subpar, you know, the governance itself is, you know, obviously a really hard thing to do in a, in a competent way, but it just seems like the people who end up in power across the board, any political party end up being lackluster, um, you know, so, so we might be tempted to say, well, they're, these guys are bad. Sure. But think about the NDP government, you know, we could make a list about the NDP government's first year and, and how they bungled certain files or, didn't do things correctly or what about the previous PC party led by Alison Redford? Well, we could probably look at her record and we could say, Oh, well, here's a bunch of stuff. I mean, I know we can look at her record and say, here's, here's all the miscues. Here's all the blunders. Here's all the corruption and stuff like this. But I think it's, I think it's actually dangerous to just kind of lump all of these parties in together and say they're all the same they're all they're all the same that's just governance it's just governance baby it's just uh you know some mild corruption some dithering some uh incompetence blundering uh but that's just government i don't think that's what we should be saying about these guys i think we should be saying you know this is these guys are exceptional in their poorness um i think that they are you know, you have the list, Brad, and and I don't have a lot to add to the list, but I I think it's just important that, you know, when we're having these conversations, that that list that you highlighted is, is, is uh, there to say that these guys are an exceptionally bad government uh, amongst bad governments, you know, (laughs) as far as the eye can see. And maybe that's just my, my own cynicism. Maybe, you know, there's people out there who loved, governments of the past or you know that kind of thing but um so and to me how they've comported themselves during the pandemic like it should be so easy no it like governance in the pandemic like people give you so much rope Mm -hmm. when when you're at the helm of this kind of a thing you listen to your health expert you know, everybody loves uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. You know, I've, I, I find that she's, you know, pretty good, I think. I don't know very much about what her position should be, but she seems to be doing a great job. So That's the public you, health officer of Alberta, yeah. That's right. So you listen to her. Um, you have to make, you know, some difficult decisions, but for the most part, we're just shutting stuff down. And, um, you know, you keep us updated. You communicate clearly. And, that's and provide how... assistance to people that are out of work, which they yeah, arguably yeah, and... have bungled as well. And then while scapegoating the federal government and letting the federal government pick up the tab for helping those people. Well, that's right. And so they have like, 
no nobody knew exactly what to do when this pandemic hit you know no one was really prepared but like governments all around the world did a, a a fine job in mitigating a lot of risk and some didn't do a very good job um but if you look at like different canadian provincial governments look at doug ford doug ford went from zero to hero amongst his own uh constituents uh from what i can tell i'm not an ontario resident but i think he's 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 playing really well during pandemic times just because he's he's clearly communicating he they shut down things he's listening to the public health officers and um you know ontario might be set up a little bit better for this because they're a manufacturer and they can kind of turn that on in different ways whereas alberta's energy economy is it went it only went down the drains even even more to the point where we were paying people to take our oil um for a long time there for a few weeks so um yeah it should be it i think it should be pretty easy to to manage the uh, governance in a you know to come off like you're just trying to do the right thing right mm-hmm. because people understand it's like we're not ready for this, but their intentions are there. They want to see us through this. So yeah, don't cut funding to healthcare at this time. That's probably a good idea to not do that. Don't have a, don't have your minister of health be a, uh, a I don't know. This guy's just a weirdo. Like his, uh, he's just an uncomposed person who you don't want in a, in a, place of leadership and and then you know it wasn't even the pandemic that got them all wired it was his wife's conflict of interest Mm -hmm. situation that got them all you know that just sent him off so you know let's also add that he uh he reached out to a number he got a a number of doctors personal information uh Mm. and was was messaging them about some of these concerns which was, you know, again, one of these things that maybe it wasn't technically illegal, but it was like, you're using government resources to go into private databases and get their home phone numbers, or their cell phone numbers, and then call them to talk about these things. It's, it's, I get it's just a, well, that's, a yeah, weird that's, thing to do. That's not the yeah. only way he reached out. He literally went across the the yard and yelled at his neighbor who was a doctor exactly yeah yeah like yeah in a time of social distancing don't go yell at your neighbor because he criticizes your wife for giving you a tremendous conflict of interest over your position in government that all seems pretty (laughs) reasonable yeah so the guy is uh you know he, he just has to go like as soon as that happened it's like okay whoops we hired the wrong guy in this position i'll be accepting his resignation Right. And this is this is, I guess, the thing. Like to break in on you here, Steve, a bit. But uh, the this is the this is my the reason I came up with the list and the things that I did. I tried to avoid like like policy decisions because you can debate whether you should cut and where you should cut public services. That's fine. That's a debate you can have. But to me, it's this government, and like it shows like the point when you're making about how other governments during a pandemic time can just like ride the wave and people will support them as long as they're coming across as like, look, we're trying to do the best they can. This government to me has from day one come out and said, we're doing this 
one way and one way only. We are not going to take anyone else's opinion. We're not going to look at experts, facts, whatever data uh, on these some of these issues. And we're just going to do what we have set out to do. Re- fact and, and reality be damned. So, you know, continuing well, to pour money into oil projects that aren't going to go anywhere or making budgets that, you know, are based on pie in the sky projections about oil prices, uh, continuing to force through uh, cuts during a pandemic. Like, and I think that that's why during a pandemic, people are, are looking at them and being like, you know, you refuse to even, you know, acknowledge that this guy should, shouldn't be a minister. Like, it's just, no, we're just going to keep him. We're just going to keep him on board. And then there is like, I don't know if how much you're on social media and social media, Twitter, whatever. It's a, it's a, it's not the real world. It's a slice of what's going on. The Medicine Hat News just published the salaries of the pe- of the pe- the, the government mm-hmm. staff, which equals up to about two point five million dollars. And for again, a government that's talking about fiscal restraint and has painted doctors as being overpaid, teachers as being overpaid, doctors as abusing their um, billing codes, and this is why we have to you know go after them. They have a high priced staff. They they're not willing to make these cuts in their own backyard, and the staff are just on Twitter arguing with people in like really like unprofessional ways, you know? Yeah, yeah but it's just like, it's pretty, it's difficult. You have to pay a lot of people, you have to pay good people a lot of money to find someone to argue on Twitter. Like you just can't find someone off the street that's good at arguing on Twitter. Like you have to pay them $200,000 a year. It's not like there's millions of people that do this every day yeah. for free. And you mentioned the war room. I think the war room's only purpose in Alberta is to fight the Medicine Hat News. It's like they are constantly and to give a, a failed candidate uh, a job. Yeah, but they constantly for some reason, it's like this med- newspaper and medicine hat. I can't remember the exact specifics, but there's a couple times that they've had direct conflicts with this war room over just like just uh, editorials that they put out, which is the job of a newspaper. So yeah. we have a 30 million dollar war room that's its job is fighting with a newspaper in like the sixth largest city in Alberta. Yeah. And and so, again, like I said, this to me is just like it just reeks of we don't give a shit what you think and we won't give a shit what you think. We're just going to do what we want to do. You know, we're not it's not like, you know, that relationship of public servant to I'm here to serve the public. I'm here to tell you what I'm you know, what is going to happen here. And that's it. That's what irks me. That's what I feel like. But my next question, then, I guess, to you guys is. How do you think this is playing in the conservative heavy uh, province of Alberta? This is conservative heartland. This is the province that's that's had a conservative government for like, what, a 43 of the last 44 years or, so, or, you know, something like this. Well, not yeah. 40 of the last 44 years, something like this, um, because I find it very difficult when I have, you know, if you bring up a lot of these things that, again, like I said, they're not like it's. You can sit there and say, well, that's not technically illegal or, you know, they got rid of the ethics commissioner, but there's another office that handles that complaint or something. You know, there's all of these things that you can kind of say, well, it's 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 this or it's that if you really want to defend this ideology. But I find that it's like it's it, it, it is getting harder and harder for those people to kind of be like, well, yeah, but you know, they're, they're, they're supporting the oil industry or yeah, well, but you know, they're cutting the deficit because none of that is happening. And that was even before the pandemic, none of that, none of the stated goals were being implemented. So Steve, we'll go to you first. 
What do you think, like, how is this playing amongst the base, amongst the urban-rural divide? Do you think that, like, if they if the election was held tomorrow, would they get another term? Yeah, that's a great question. And obviously, I have no numbers or I haven't seen any polls or anything like that. So it's really, you're going off feel when you, when mm-hmm. you try to answer that kind of question, right? Um, and so, obviously, there's a rural urban split but there's also a calgary edmonton split where i think edmonton is more um kind of eager to to swing back to the ndp uh whereas calgary has kind of a more corporate uh feel to it in terms of the oil and gas corporation center like being a bit of a hub for that um so it's i mean there's two things. I, I think anybody having a reasonable conversation about this, and I've talked to plenty of people who are, you know, maybe UCP voters or, or potentially UCP voters, and, and they're really turned off by how this government is, uh, is acting. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of votes that are already going somewhere else. Um, but there's two two things that go with that, right? Like, where are those votes going? Is it is it, is this a UCP or NDP province at this point, or is there not? Is there a third option? Um, mm-hmm. We don't really know that uh, as of this moment. And so, the other thing is is that um, the loyalty that the corporations feel towards this government for. Um, the tax cut and just just being so close uh you know in, in their relationship um this is a very pro industry pro large corporation government so it's hard to say how, how much an of oil that. corporation which is the majority of them in the province. yeah 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 um and so we'll see how much of that like trickles down into the voting populace of calgary but calgary's you know I don't, I don't recall the numbers. Maybe you guys know better than me how many NDP seats, MLA seats won in Calgary, but it was, it was not, it was not a marginal number when, um, sorry, I mean, in the last election when the NDP won. So, I mean, Calgary has shown the vote for progressive, progressive, uh, uh, people, um, in terms of, you know, Nahed Nenshi was considered a, a progressive mayor when he came on the scene. Um, and the NDP from the 2014 election, 2015, something like this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, if Calgary, if Calgary goes away from the UCP, then it's, it's over, right? Because Edmund, that means Edmonton will have gone and, and there's no chance that a government conform that you can form a government without the uh urban centers of of the province so i don't know it, it like the other question that'll be interesting to see is does the pandemic provide like a political smokescreen for the government in that well how could we balance the budget how could we achieve our goals how could we you know we were throwing this big curveball and all of a sudden we all forget that they mm-hmm. were doing quite poorly at, at achieving their goals before there was any kind of uh, shutdown of the economy. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I hope that that a reasonable conversation can be had about this government's uh, 
track record in two years, two years time. So let's mm-hmm. hope. Yeah. And I mean, oil prices and how oil rebounds in the next couple of years is going to, is going to really, you know, affect that, uh, you know, because if there's, if we come out of the pandemic and all of a sudden there's a big demand and, and prices go up, that could easily let them, everyone forget what the last, what the last, uh, two, two years were like, um, Coleman, the, you can, you can jump in with thoughts on that. I thought Steve brought up an interesting point about where do you go? Like where, where do these votes go? Um, so I don't know if you have thoughts on that, whether it's NDP or, you know, I do have a party. Well, then let's, let's hear them. I think there's, um, it's like for the first time in Alberta, there actually is a place for the votes to go because before, especially the NDP is kind of transformed into more of a center left party than it was before. Um, everyone like in Alberta talks about, Oh, I'd vote liberal. If it wasn't called liberal, I'd vote Alberta party. If they'd get their stuff together. It's like, no, you never do. But like the NDP is a legitimate option now to vote provincially. Mm-hmm. If you look at the results of the last election or the last two elections, really the conservative, the UCP government didn't actually gain a ton of support over the com- combined wild rose and conservative numbers from the election before that the NDP won. Going off the top of my head, I think they gained like four or five percent of the popular vote, which really, when running against an incumbent government, isn't isn't outrageous. The fact that they didn't take very much support from the NDP tells me that they have a they actually have a shot in the next election. I think mm-hmm. if you look at actually, I looked up um, uh, Kenny's approval numbers right now, and this is from two weeks ago. I had time when Barb was talking to actually do some research for this, so I look very well prepared. Um, <laughs> Right now, it's uh, what is this from? This is from Campaign Research Inc. Two weeks ago on May May seventh, I believe, and uh, Jason Kenny's approval rating is at forty four percent, and his disapproval rating is at forty eight, and um, that's the least in Canada. Yeah, and I think and I think right now, basically, his response to this is kind of making people angry on two fronts. Because he's restricting the freedoms of uh, everyone by keeping them inside, and that's making the far right conservative supporters angry. Mm-hmm. The freedom lovers. Yeah, and uh, he is uh, spending like a drunken sailor and showing no actual results for it, which are making the center right side <laughs> of the conservatives angry. So he's really not making any of his supporters happy at this point. I mean, mm. if you if you're uh, very interested in Keystone XL. I guess he's making them happy. But um, I think for the first time in a long time, yeah, there's a vote. Like, you can vote NDP as a legitimate option in the next election. Do you think that there's um, – because, I mean, I remember the, the Alberta Party had some kind of momentum, at least in the media. People were talking about them a couple years back, uh, but then it kind of faded away. It never really m- amounted to anything. But do you think that there's a – like is it a, is it a strategy for some of these smaller like the liberal the Alberta Liberals and the or the Alberta Party or something like this to kind of like even just like throw their support behind, you know the NDP or something like this or join together because I mean this is what the, the the conservatives have done a number of times, um, in Alberta and also federally is you know they've they fractured into these different movements reform and. Conservative yeah. Party of Canada and Progressive Conservatives and this kind of thing, Wild Rose and Alberta, and then merge back together to kind of sweep back in. Like you said, they, they when you look at the support of the split Conservative parties before 
uh, merging as the UCP, it's really not that much different. So I don't know, maybe there's a left, a center left or a left, you know, opportunity think, for a coalition. I don't think you really have to bring the left vote in Alberta together. Because if you look at the results, like in, there's certain ridings that no one but the conservative party is going to win, rarely. And then urban ridings, like most of the left vote goes to the NDP already. So I don't mm-hmm. think you have to make a big effort to, first of all, in Alberta, we have to stop trying to make the Alberta party happen. <laughs> it's just not. We don't want the Alberta party. It's like the Alberta the Alberta party is Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett, <laughs> for people who don't know, is a, a relatively popular Calgary Flames player, drafted six overall a few years ago. Scored fourth four overall. Goals. Fourth overall. Get it even right. Better. Even better. And um, he um, came in full potential, scored four goals in one game. But now it's like four years later, and it's just not happening. He's not going to be a first-line player. I'm sorry. And the Alberta party is Sam Bennett. I don't want to hear about the Alberta party anymore. We're <laughs> they done. Should, they, should they both just quit? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about them. Just don't talk about them. I think everyone is like, I wish, oh, the, uh, if only the Alberta party was more popular, I'd vote for them. It's like the NDP moved pretty far right on their proposal, or on their policies in government. I mean, they've come pretty close to what you want the Alberta gov- or the Alberta party to be. So just mm-hmm. vote NDP. Well, and so the, so then this is I'll throw this last one out before we you know maybe move on to other things unless there's pressing things that you guys want to get to, and it is kind of Steve you kind of mentioned like um, you know we could look at past governments and and compare their records and stuff like this. And I think for the point that I was trying to make about the UCP, it's, it's, it's less of like, let's focus on what we have now and, and how they're, and how they're doing. But I am, you know, interested in, because like I said, off the top, I disagree with the strategy, you know, and the ideology of this UCP government, which is kind of, looks like it's like this trickle down kind of economics, you know, cut corporate taxes, cut to cut taxes, and then cut spending. Um, And for, you know, they also ran on this, on this mantra, this conservative mantra of like, we're not picking winners and losers, we're, you know, we got to let the market decide and all, all of this kind of stuff. And then came in and seemingly, you know, seems to me like they heavily favor oil and gas. And obviously, this is a huge industry, the industry in Alberta. So you kind of have to. But I look at the NDP and I say, I saw a government that was saying, we are going to support our energy industry while also trying to diversify and find other ways to like, at least start that conversation. Do you think that that's uh, uh, like just a no go uh, in Alberta at this point? Like is UCP, like is their mantra or their insistence on supporting oil? Is that enough to win the province of Alberta or is there again room for our people you know maybe ready to have a discussion of well let's let's start let's let's start opening it up do do they want to see you know something like that or do you want to see that I know I'm asking you to speak for for people that you don't uh, know but your thoughts or care to know Brad um No, just kidding, people. Come reach out, get to know me. Love to get to know you all. Uh, don't, don't uh, do that. <laughs> so, I like I, I guess the question, Brad, like, will people go for a little bit to- less kind of focus on oil and gas? Is that kind of basically your question? I guess my my question and. and... 
yeah, I'm terrible at, at actually doing questions. I kind of just say things that I'm thinking and then hope that you find a question in there. So that's my bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just wondering if, because it, it looks to me that, you know, like I said, the, and the UCP came in and said, like, we're all oil. That's it. You know, the environment, it's not a concern. It's there's this conspiracy against us. Carbon taxes have to go yet, you know, the oil industry itself said we're pro carbon tax and that things need to change. I guess I'm just wondering if I see the writing on the wall and that this industry mm-hmm. is going down and it is not coming back. Does the province see that or is in order to win the province, do you still have to be driving around in a, in a pickup truck with I heart Alberta oil stickers on, on the back? Yeah, I think there's some middle ground there. I think it's a good point, but I think there's, I think the NDP actually struck a pretty good middle ground in terms of their energy policy. And so um, if they were to come back with that, like people have the frame of reference, right? Okay, well, here's how things were under the NDP uh, for four years. Here's how things were under the UCP for four years. The UCP was all about the rhetoric of helping this industry, but was it any better in the end? Did did uh, fewer people get laid off? Did more companies uh, succeed? I mean, look, we don't have the, all the answers to that question. Uh, the next two or three years are going to answer some of those questions. But it really looks like the answer to those questions are going to be, no, that we did not have a healthier energy economy under the UCP. And we... and. And because of the focus on that so much being their their, their prime focus, we, it really hurt the overall economy too. That's just the way it seems like it's going. So Brad, I agree with that. But I, I think you're, you're never going to take power in this province by saying what you just said, Brad, saying this is a dying industry and it's going to it's it's going away so we better get ready for the transition even if that might be true um you you still need to for sure pander to this industry to the point where it's like okay i mean because for the realistic reason is is that it's still paying the bills right um and that's just we are not going to be able to transition to uh to a tech sector we're not going to be able to to easily trans just transition to green energy and then become kind of like a central hub for all that so i mean you have to strike a middle ground is what i'm saying you can't Mm -hmm. just completely focus on it i think people are are uh, might be over that kind of kind of attitude that kind of rhetoric two years from now but you definitely can't um just say well that's going away, so we're we've got to move on to the next thing. Well, I mean, I think the reasonable thing that like everyone, even me, who you know is is you know would be pushing for a a, a transition to start right away and pretty aggressively, you know, you, you have to understand that yes, of course, you can't. It's like you know you get the backlash from the other side, the really staunch conservative supporters that are always saying, well, we can't just turn off the taps, we can't just you know. And it's like of course not. No one's saying that, and that's I, that's what I thought the NDP did well was they're like well, no we're not saying that but we have to start preparing for something else and i wonder if you know going through a situation like a pandemic and you know there was the you alluded to the the crazy drop in oil prices that was even before the pandemic you know brought on by 
the market changing and the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia and stuff, I wonder if people's appetite is more for, hey, we got to start planning for some of these events because we just saw what happens when we have no backup. We have no plan. We have no, you know. So, Coleman, I'll give you the last thoughts on that, and then we can move to something else. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to last thoughts. Um, I think it's going to be interesting in Calgary because, like, I think a big conservative strategy was just put your policies in place, hope oil prices rebound, obviously by their budget, they thought they would, mm-hmm. um, and then run on a successful track record in the next election. It's going to be hard, even in Calgary, to campaign – on economic success if oil's at $20 a barrel. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you're going to get your message across. It's certainly yeah. not going to work in Edmonton at all. Or or will the message just continue to be, it's not our fault? But now the yeah. NDP... It's the, the NDP federal government. Track, it's the... Yeah, but now the NDP have a track record of their own to run on, mm-hmm. which is arguably better than the Conservatives of managing the economy to this point. Mm-hmm. And it's going to work in Edmonton. I think the Conservatives may have lost Edmonton forever. Or not forever, but for a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't see this... I've been in this city for several months now, and I'm an expert on it and, and the people. <laughs> you, you got uh, your finger on the pulse. Oh, yeah. I'm not even allowed to talk to people right now. This is uh, the most human contact you've had for weeks. He could lick his it? finger, stick it out the window, and see which way the winds are <laughs> blowing, thing, my friend. Here's the thing you guys don't know about Edmonton. is There is an unspoken way that uh, the people of this city communicate. A, a stare and a nod is all we need, and I know everything. <laughs> about my federal Edmontonians. But anyway, so I think uh, Calgary's where this, because Calgary's where this next election is going to be won and lost. And if the conservatives go in this trajectory is managing the economy, I think it's it's not impossible that they could lose a chunk of Calgary, especially like the inner city or something like that. And then that, maybe man. not enough to lose the government, but maybe go in a minority situation or something like that. I think it's doable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll see how the, the, the rest of the pandemic and whatnot plays out uh, and then the oil prices afterwards, because, I mean, that's that's the thing is there's so many unknowns right now. Um, so from here, let's transition quickly to the, the federal, the federal government, the one that the that the conservatives right now seem to really like to to scapegoat. Trudeau has seen a huge bump in his uh, approval. He's one of these leaders that like seems like if you just try and manage the situation and be honest and open with people you can you can ride out a, a, a or you can rally people around during this during this he, time he was born for this yeah the empathetic I've, caring I've, I've look. been harshly critical of of Trudeau in the past and right, I still myself. I'm still not a big fan or anything but he was born for this situation mm-hmm, gets to mm-hmm. be in front of a camera daily mm-hmm. blowing in the wind yeah that yeah. that silver he, fox beard he's rocking he, now yeah he does he he does the camera well so and I he's think, getting his time i think other than that one attempt of the liberals to get unlimited power for like two years and that one bill that they tried to sneak through they've done a pretty good job overall yeah <laughs> yeah that 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 was a bit of a mess but yeah other than that like you say about true this is this is him and his element because mm-hmm. if we've learned anything from Justin Trudeau, there's not a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> there's just not a lot. He's got some... Like, I, I thought, in a way, when he's running the first time, everyone's like, this guy's an airhead. There's not much there. And I'm like, come on. Like, he can't be like that. You're obviously overstating it. And at this point, I'm like, well, 
they might be right. It seems but, yeah. that way. And, and I think he's like listening to the people he should be listening to. Yeah. And that's basically all we can ask of elected officials during these times. Because what the hell does he really know about pandemic response? Right. Well, and I would say that I like the I, I like the fact that he's not claiming to. You know, he's not the one standing up there trying to explain yeah. epidemiological data and things like this, which I saw Jason Kenney get a lot of. I cannot pronounce that word, epidemic. I can't even pronounce it. Epidemiological. Well, I did study that for a while in my university yeah. days, so I should be so, able to pronounce right, it by right, now. Right. Yeah, no big deal. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I've I've said this a number of times about Trudeau as well, is that it's like he makes a good. And I say this to people over here in Europe because he still has the, you know, compared to Trump and Boris Johnson in the UK, people look to, you know, places like New Zealand and Canada and say like, oh, well, look at this, these progressive leaders that like, they say the right things, they do the right things. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, but you don't know what it's like actually in Canada, you know, like, you know what he's like running a government. And I think that he's the type of guy that, like you said, in these situations, he's in front of the camera, he can speak clearly, he listens to the right people, and he can deliver the message. He's, he's a good figurehead in terms of a, 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 a front that you want to have, you know, a message that you want your party to have or something like that. But as a leader of a government, the nuts and bolts of government, eh, not that great. Um, so, so but, we'll say like, I obviously agree with that, but I think the other thing, the the financial aid that's been put together in short order in, in Canada, I think has been pretty reasonable in mm-hmm. how fast they were able to roll it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm only looking at it in terms of uh, in relation to, the United States, which had a, you know, they obviously have much bigger population, but they also have uh, an eco maniacal type leader who's, who's not, uh, you know, he, I think we're going to talk about him, but he, he called the checks back so they could have his signature on them. Yeah. And yeah. delayed payment to people. In, yeah. But they also, I mean, they have I don't know, people don't of, know is that a real story i'm sorry i've know. read that yeah that, that is that is true but is if people don't know story? if you're listening that is true but if you're listening outside of canada it's like our setup to claim your um the head was the, the canadian emergency response benefit which is yeah. two thousand dollars every two weeks is you just had to sign up for it yeah basically yeah and like you didn't have to jump through any loopholes and that was their kind of deals like you take the risk that people might abuse it and there probably are people abusing it but just to make sure the people that need the money get it right away. Yeah. Which is what needed to happen. Yeah. And, and then the sorry, idea is are... that you 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 find the 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 cheaters afterwards and it's the next year's taxes will you'll you know yeah. you'll be able to sort that out then. And it's not gonna be that hard to find it. Like the tax return. Yeah. Like it's all tracked online. And it's mostly is people that were double dipping would be claiming both EI, regular EI benefits and the, the C E R B benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So but the CERB, like people are calling that CERB. Yeah. And I don't know. I thought it should be CURB. Or it definitely should be CURB. I agree with you on that. There's no H. CURB? I, you Herb? lost me. I disagree. Uh, it's, I like it, it's not CERB, though. No. no this, is a, this is a bilingual country. It's actually CERB. CERB. CERB, huh? Yeah. So, uh, but... In addition to that, now they have a, a different program, the wage subsidy 
rehire program where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they are offering to subsidize wages if companies rehire people, get them off CERB, get companies paying them, still still with largely government dollars. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I know one critic one critique and this is almost unavoidable it's not a it's not a scam or it's not um fraudulent i don't think but people who could work or have been offered their job that but their job might be you know bring them the same amount that they would make on sherb they why would you work right a lot or at least a lot of people are asking that question why would i go to work if i could make basically the same amount on the crb and not work mm-hmm. right yeah so, well, the, well the problem is your um your benefits since you get two thousand dollars every two weeks or thousand dollars a week or whatever it is or no two thousand dollars a month it's two thousand a is. month yeah yeah, yeah, two thousand a month. Two thousand yeah. a week. That would be. I'm gonna quit my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's that's... all get on this, babe. Exactly. <laughs> but there's a policy in it. If you make, like, if you go back to your job and say you work part time as a server, or delivery driver, something like that, and you make a thousand dollars a month, you lose your serve benefits in its entirety. Mm-hmm. So really, yeah, so why would, would you? You you, yeah. you can't afford to go back to work for a thousand dollars a month. Like no one can live off that. Well, this is so that's the one problem, and that's actually Andrew Shear brought that up, and it was kind of misconstrued because he thought they made it seem like he was saying that people were avoiding work to stay on that benefit, but actually what he meant was like people are avoiding work because they can't afford to work if they lose the benefit if they're working part time, mm-hmm. and that's not it. And that's not a uh, me saying that Andrew Shear isn't wrong all the time about everything. There's just this one specific time that his words are actually twisted. Yeah. The, but uh, I mean, it's a legitimate question. So you, you use the example of earning a thousand dollars a month instead of two thousand dollars a month, and not being able to obviously, you can't live on a thousand dollars a month unless you're living is already a month. Yeah. Completely subsidized. So two thousand. If you, if if you're making $2,000 a month at your job and you're offered your job back, there's going to be, I, I would say a large amount of people. And I, you know, I'm not in that situation. I can't speak for myself, but it's going to be a large amount of people who are just like, listen, I'd rather not work. And I'd rather just pocket the same amount of money. We don't, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the concern. Right. And I think it's a valid concern, but you know, in other welfare programs, there's been case studies that you can look at where they find that people do want to work. Like, no, like there's there's a small amount of people that actually just like sit at home and leech on, you know, public benefits. It does exist. It does happen. But I think in this situation, what you're what we're missing in our comments here is the safety aspect too. It's like, maybe it's equal. Maybe it's 2000, 2000. I either get it from the government or I go back to work. But if I'm working in a meatpacking plant where no safety measures have been put in place and people around me have died from this disease, of course I'm going to stay home. So, yeah. you know, that's the yeah. other thing. Any public it, place, it's, yeah. that's definitely tips the balance for sure. Well, let's say, let's say you live at home with uh, your partner whose uh, immune system is compromised. Mm-hmm. And you go back to work for two thousand dollars a a month, like that well, seems kind of irresponsible. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. taking the money. 
So I think it's... And let's not, um, let's not pile on people that sit at home and collect government money and don't do any work. He's <laughs> a little too close to home there, Bar. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm not trying to pile on. I'm just saying that this is the situation. I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's even a flaw in the system. I just think that we just need to be ready to accept that yeah. that's going to happen right and that's 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 kind of my point is that it's like i think with all of these things you you like you made the point at at the beginning that it got the money to the people that needed it as fast as possible and even if there's people that are like getting it or they're double dipping or something arguably you could say maybe that's going back into the economy as well so you know there you go we'll claw it back later we'll figure it out later i think that's the thing is like and this is where the you made the comparison to the u.s and their rollout and stuff it's like they have this they really have this attitude that if you give people public services or public, you know, welfare, you know, the welfare state or whatever, that they are going to become, you know, fat on the teeth of the government and never want to work and stuff. But I really, I'm not sure that that is borne out in most cases. I mean, look at how many people are just sick of staying home and they want to go out and, and, and work, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I we could look at, I'm sure we could find studies that would that will show both sides of that that equation but i'm always reluctant to be like personally i guess maybe maybe it's naive but i i, I tend to trust people more that it's like most people well i think respect the, other the benefit thing, right. and, and use them in the right way and there's a small minority that will always yes be turds but we can't you can't you know you can't let those people ruin it for everybody yeah i think and then the other thing is like there's going to be such a shortage of jobs if this is over i was speaking for my my personal experience, I'm on temporary layoff right now. So when I go back to work, like I am going to go back to work because like where else am I going to work? Mm -hmm. Like there's really not going to be a lot out there. Um, so I think a lot of people are just going to go back because like, what's the alternative? Like you stay on, stay on EI for the next year or something like that. You're just in your house for five months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. So I think I uh, like, I don't know. I, I, I brought this up before as well, but, I think the obvious solution is UBI. I don't know. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I, so talking about Andrew Yang, talking about the Yang gang. You got I'm me onto the, the Yang, Yang Speaks gang. podcast, and I must say I am enjoying it. Good podcast, eh? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I think that, that th having that system in place leading up to a pandemic would have been, would have been great. I mean, it, it solves all the problems we just talked about, mm -hmm. right? um a it's universal so everyone's getting it there's no way to cheat it mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure there's some way to to you know fraudulently create alternate identities that are sucking money that's probably possible but any system you have you're gonna have to you're gonna have to build a little bit of variance in there to do than one would think too like to create probably. a false identity to collect ubi <laughs> yeah no, so, the real the real plan is to fake your own death and get some of that sweet life insurance money that's much easier <laughs> right yeah 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 um fake your own death and fake your own birth so you can just continue to oh, you know, fake your own <laughs> get insurance that go on ubi I propose uh, a spin-off podcast about planning a way to fake your own birth. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Well, first we need UBI. We need the freedom dividend. Um, so it, it solves that problem. It solves the problem of just be, it being automatic. Like the, the, the Service Canada, though they did an admirable job of rolling this out, they weren't 
they're not set up for this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. No one's set up to, to distribute this amount of money to this amount of people. And like track it. And, yeah. I mean, course. people were using the phone. Ugh. People were using the phone to get this. You mean oh, they the weren't, t- you, they were using it like to talk into and not just yes. type? Yeah. Ugh. No, oh. I, I had to use the phone for mine. Because actually, I had an EI claim from last year that just restarted, but I had to be on hold for Service Canada. And you're on the phone, but you don't talk on it. I was on hold for like an hour and a half. Yeah. It was horrible. And they yeah. play the same. They have like this little short clip of music that just plays really loud and then really soft and then really loud and then really soft. It's hor- horrible. Yeah, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it's UBI, just the automaticity of it and also the universality of it and the fact that the money comes in thousand bucks a month call it or whatever it ends up being um there is no there's no condition on it right like Mm -hmm. and so whatever you're making that money at your job that money would be on top of that Mm -hmm. right so there's no choice to make for people people won't say well i could just not work for a thousand bucks a month i mean that's it's not going to, that's not really going to get you what, what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you're just getting a thousand dollar raise every month, which is great. Right. And it, it would help a lot of people in this situation right now. It'd help the people so, that need it the most. Yeah. Well, then you well, can yeah. save a lot of money from cutting other social programs too, that you just don't need because you're paying yeah. people that money already. Right. Exactly. Well, and this is, there, there has been, you know, again, case studies done on the best way to provide welfare. And again, the, the American model is always, they're so afraid of if we give them this money, they're just going to spend it on booze and cigarettes because they're poor. And that's what poor people do because they're gross. Uh, when in fact, if you, and so then they make food stamps and all these other things, which complicates everything, creates more bureaucracy. I can only use these food stamps for certain items. But in the end, if you give people the money, they know how best to spend it. And the majority of people make responsible decisions with that money. And they're able to say, hey, this month I can cut back on a bit of my grocery bill, but I really need to make this car insurance payment so that I can get to work or my bus pass or whatever. And it gives them that flexibility. So, I mean, that's the thing. And I I agree with you, Steve, the UBI thing. This is kind of like a trial. You know, the whole world's kind of trying it out right now. Um, yeah, I hope I hope it sticks and yeah, I hope it sticks in certain places. And uh, you know, I think we're we're going through this right now. I don't know. This is a really strange time. I'm sure you guys agree. This is very bizarre mm-hmm. to uh, be going through this. But it 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 could be uh, not that I I don't think it's going to be ongoing for years or anything. But the next thing could come up. There could be another pandemic. You know, there's nothing that says. Or climate change disruptions, you know, like sure, hurricanes like all or sorts. whatever, you know. Yeah, so we need to be prepared for that going in. We need well, to be think, thinking about the future, right? Well, I think UBI is like the only, the only reasonable answer I've heard to like job loss due to automation. And I think I said this exact same thing on the last time we recorded one of these, but like <laughs> we're going to lose a lot of like low skill labor jobs in the next 10 years to automation. And we're basically going to have this unemployment problem all the time. And if there's a better solution than universal basic income, I have not heard it yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, this is, this is, this is a, you know, a practice run, a dry run. Um, So then let's, let's move to the, let's move to the, the neighbors to the South, the U S and the, and the, the... I thought we were going to talk about Calgary. 
My neighborhood. <laughs> Calgary, get your shit together. We're gonna go to Lethbridge. We're gonna go to next. We're going oh, live Lethbridge. to Lethbridge, Alberta. No, uh, Lethbridge, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing everything great. Yeah, we love you. Lethbridge. Shout out to Lethbridge. Um, no, we're getting because in the last episode or the last time we we got together for one of these, it was during the primary, and Bernie looked looked like he was doing pretty good, but we were still on the fence of whether you know Biden was gonna make his comeback which we now know it looks like he did. Um, so, Steve, you were just mentioning uh, Andrew Yang, and like I said, you got me onto the Yang Speaks podcast, which I'm quite enjoying, and the more I, the more I listen, the more I like that guy. Uh, yeah. But let's, uh, let's say your thoughts on, on Biden now being the presumptive nominee, the situation in the States. I'll kind of yeah. let's give you free reign to, to take it where you, where you want, and then we'll jump in. Cool. Well, where where to even begin with the that circus down there? My goodness. Um. Yeah. So Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee, and people are you know not happy about this pick, or at least you know we should all obviously. Win. So people vote. Yeah. So I'm not happy about it. I'm just <laughs> some guy who doesn't even get to vote in this election and and all that but i'm not happy about it and a lot of people are unhappy about it i think i think he is i think it's an unpopular pick amongst a large group of people you know Mm -hmm. that's the thing with the united states though it's country 300 plus million 350 million people so you have these big pockets of people i'm sure he's popular amongst a lot of people and then there's also like the targeting of of where you want to focus in terms of their electoral college. What's the right. swing states? Is he popular in the swing states? So it might not matter if he's popular in California or New York or, mm-hmm. or these blue states. But uh, if he's popular in, in the states that could go either way, uh, the swing states, then, you know, the Wisconsin's, the, you know, a lot of the center Michigan. states. Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania. So, so, and I guess his numbers are strong in those places and and people, he's a recognizable guy and all this. I mean, the thing is, is you bring a guy in who is, uh, has a credible rape allegation against him. Is it credible? Uh, Yeah, of course it is. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe you have information I don't. But from what I've from what I've heard, it's it's a credible rape allegation. That doesn't mean that he for sure did it. That doesn't mean that he's proven guilty in the court of law. But it means that he has an accuser whose uh, story from the early '90s has been corroborated by multiple t- people at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. I have also so, heard, you know, again, I, I've, and I'll be honest that I haven't followed that, that too, too closely, but I've also heard that well, journalists have tried to report on it. The story has changed. There's, you know, documents that could be, you know, that Biden has said, like, let's look at those to see if she made the report. The story changed. I don't know. So it's, yeah, these things are always going to be a, a fucking shit show to, to get to the bottom of. Totally, we're also but- running, we're in a, a period where we got a candidate with one sex crime allegation that against him running against one that has like 45 yeah no i i I completely agree with that but i mean the fact that they're running this guy so you have trump who has this he he's the uh he's the teflon pan of of rape it just slides right (laughs) off him um and he and he's also uh completely senile 
but mm-hmm. he, he's, he seems to be on speed and and uh, make zero he, sense a lot of times when he talks. Makes zero sense, but he can he can ramble, right? So he's uh, also the Teflon pan of memories. They just slide right off of him because <laughs> he's senile. Yeah, Go on, yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then you bring in Joe Biden, who has oh, like I'm gonna just continue to call it a credible rape allegation until I see until uh, it's proven otherwise, and also a seems to be suffering from memory problems perhaps dementia at his old age as well i like so why is this a good candidate to run up against trump i have no idea are we supposed to not talk about it just to just so that we can continue the narrative that anybody but trump is the right move i think we need to talk about it i i think you know if i had the choice to vote i would be voting for joe biden because just doesn't matter that like honestly if the these rape allegations turn out to continue to be credible it's like i i don't want to vote for a rapist i really don't like but that's why you have to do that's why you have options now so you don't. Yeah, you well, have, yeah, you here, I'm going to tell you this: you have to vote for rapists. That's the rule. You have to vote for one in the state. We're offering you, <laughs> yes, yeah, we're offering you two different choices. Yeah. We can offer you one that's like really, really a rapist, or we yeah. can talk to one that's like, yeah, he's like the the store brand rapist. Rape like, yeah, yeah, yeah like cool. the like the Doctor Flavor instead of Doctor Pepper. Rapist. <laughs> yeah it's really uncomfortable even to talk about it and that's but that's the position a lot of people are in and a lot of people are pissed off about it and rightfully so right like why why do i have two rapists on the ballot or you know allegedly why are there allegedly two uh senile rapists saw the ballot mm-hmm. it makes no sense this is what so, the system produced this is what it produced it just it's 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 uh La la land. It's too. It's too kooky for me. I can't even think about it. It's too crazy. So and then, so yeah. Well, so you know, there's polls out there showing that Biden is more popular uh, than Trump in a lot of states and nationally overall. But we know that that doesn't you know win you the election. Hillary Clinton won the the overall vote. Coleman, what do you think of you know your I guess your thoughts on Biden, but then also like yeah how he how these issues are going to play into it because like as Steve alluded alluded to, it gets talked about a lot more critically of Biden, whereas Trump kind of seems to just skate skate through. Or are enough people upset with Trump in the right places that we're going to go with Biden no matter what? I think what we've learned this week, especially with Joe Biden is, is this guy just needs to shut the fuck up and let Trump lose this election on his own. <laughs> Cause like once you get Joe Biden in front of a microphone and he, what did he say this week? It's like, um, if you're supporting Trump over me, you're not black. Yeah. He did say yeah. that. Like, you're one of the most like popular what? black radio hosts in the nation. Like, what are you thinking? You lunatic. Yeah. Why would you say that? I just really don't strange. understand. And like this is this is the modern Democratic Party is like this is the candidate. Looking back, it's like there was no other, no other choice but Joe Biden for the Democratic Party in the U.S. because they're just so goddamn incompetent. But um, and then I saw there were they're vetting Klobuchar. Klobuchar, yeah. 
Klobuchar to be the VP. And it's like, why the fuck not? Let's just go for like the most boring VP candidate possible to pair with the the most senile Democratic presidential nominee possible. Middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the Democrats, it seems what they're kind of going for is kind of just run Trump against the Obama legacy. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of uh, Obama in this campaign. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, for the Democrats' sake, you're going to see like a lot of uh, of uh, video of Joe Biden smiling and waving at a camera, a, a good step away from a microphone. With Obama doing the talking for him. Yeah, I think we just we've hit a point in U.S. politics where it's like Barks talking about how you don't want to vote for, like, vote for these people. It's like we've the Trump presidency has gotten bad enough that. Voters in the states just have to just man up and or people up. I shouldn't man up, shouldn't uh, gender people, empower themselves to just vote for the clearly more competent option, and then we'll just hopefully Biden's a one-term president. And we can get someone uh, like an actual race in the, in twenty twenty four. Well, I mean, he has said that in some of his thing, in some of his speeches, and some of the stuff where he's like, "I want to, I'm, I'm doing this because I feel that there's a, there's a dire need to get Trump out, and he believes he's the guy to do that at this time, and that he's like, we need to transition to a younger generation, and I want to be that transition. That's that's he said that he that is on the record saying yeah. those kind of things. Now, does that mean that he would run once and then? allow the primaries to allow himself to get primaried or you know step step out of it i don't know but well, that definitely means that he's going to set up a hillary clinton run in 2024 he's going to step to the side <laughs> so they can run hillary again well this get the youth get the youth of the party out let's get yeah just watch. it's like the yeah. next election is going to be hillary clinton running against like eric trump yeah it's going to be like what the fuck's going on we'll just replay that event again um, well, I think the thing to point out with this, though, as, as it goes into the, you know, this is a point that I've heard made in, in American media that I follow is that the, the strategy in the American elections now is turnout. You have to get people, enough people on your side to turn out. It's not about like, you know, getting fired up about what you want to see happen. It's like, can we suppress their turnout enough or get people disinterested enough and have a fired up enough base. And the Rep- the Republicans do this. They have it very well. They have their loyal base that will show up. They know will show up. And then it's, you know, this is the Trump tra- strategy is just to make the other side be so unpalatable or disinterested or fed up that they just don't turn out. And I think that this might be where Biden has a step over Hillary because she was deeply unpopular, very, very unpopular. Biden is less so. He's kind of a more popular guy because he, you know, has, for all his flaws as a candidate, people recognize him. They associate him with Obama. And like you said, Coleman, if we just keep him away from microphones, then uh, maybe he can, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe enough people. But you still have to then get people energized enough to turn out or you have to get this um, slice of voters that voted for Obama and then voted for Trump to come back and vote and vote Democrat. So there is that that sliver there. Um, we know what the Trump campaign is going to be. It's going to be you know to disgust everyone about Biden and Hunter Biden and all these allegations and stuff. And this moves to one of the things that you brought up, Steve, in our chats before this is this 
Obama gate. You know, they're starting to float this, what appears to me to be a made up conspiracy uh, that Obama made some crime. Trump, you know, was at a loss for words to even describe what it meant when he was asked what the crime oh, was. He wasn't at a loss of words. Like, what That's did true. He, what's the crime? And he's like, you know what he did. Yeah. So it's not a, let's say not a loss of words, hey, I'm gonna start, a loss of I'm gonna facts about I'm gonna start, what it was. Today, it's one of the craziest I'm start, clips. I'm going to start Barg Gate. Yeah. <laughs> Someone asked me, he's like, you, you know what Barg is. <laughs> you know what it is. He knows what he does. The biggest scandal. Well, and now, but now you see that like some of the people around him and the, and obviously the Fox News and stuff like that are starting to build the case, you know? So it comes from the top where we just say, let's just say something and then we'll start, you know, people on the internet, conspiracy people and the Fox News and all this stuff will just start trying to pull these things together to, you know, it was, oh, they, they treated Michael Flynn poorly and, you know, this and that. So they're trying to fill in the holes with some facts. Um, I just, you know, obviously it's going to work for his base, but does it work for, you know, like I said, this, this, these swing voters that were, they so disliked Clinton that they voted Trump. And now will they, you know, will they go back in some early primary polls uh, that I was seeing during the primaries? A lot of those people or a significant number of those people were were um, Bernie and Yang supporters, so I don't know if, if Biden can win those back. But Steve, you had some thoughts about Obamagate and how it was getting covered, even and like how that might maybe that plays into the the Trump Republican strategy of we're just going to discuss people enough about Biden that they won't show up and his QAnon supporting you know base is gonna is gonna jump in and and carry the wave. Yeah, I think I've got, I sure do. I've got a lot to say about Obama Gates. So, I mean, first of all, in, in terms of the, the uh, legitimacy of it, of course, you're going to have Fox News covering it. But then, like, there's, there's lots of different media, especially in the States, and it's grown so much with uh, YouTube, I think, particularly. Um, but the, the gorilla in the room, uh, that everyone is just trying to kind of like hang off of, I think is Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. I like, is Joe Rogan, not the most popular media kind of lifestyle, uh, most listened to person in America. I'd be shocked if he wasn't, to be honest. This... I think he's, I think he gets, he gets millions upon millions of, of viewers. I think it's around probably 10 million views or downloads or something on his channels. He has 8.4 million YouTube subscribers, something like this. And there's an interesting point, I think, that can be this is it's true, right? Like he drives some of this conversation. And I was having a conversation with my lovely wife, Teresa, about this. It would be interesting to know what what how diverse that crowd is, though. You know what I mean? Oh, like what I the think demographics it's... of that because it's probably more diverse than the cable. You know, the Fox News. They, you know, who's watching Fox News? CNN. You know, who's watching Fox News? But a guy like Rogan, I would imagine, spans. You know, he covers more of a the middle ground or grabs people from both sides. I think it's more. I yeah, I think he does. I think he's a bit of a catch-all, and um, you know, you say, however, up to ten million views. Uh, or listens or whatever downloads Hannity is the most popular cable news 
guy. He's the most popular TV news person, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's something like 3 million viewers. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Tucker Carlson is in that range. And I think Rachel Maddow is in that range. Mm -hmm. But I I think on the radio, on his independent radio show, he would probably be up there too. Maybe. I I don't know. But I think Rogan crushes them all. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's a really fascinating thing. And I, I I don't think we need to get into his uh, Spotify deal that he just did. I don't really know enough about it, but it was, he was in the news this week for the Spotify deal that he did. Um, Anyway. So all this is to say, like, I'm a fan of Joe Rogan to a point. Like I, I don't listen to every episode. I listen if he's got interesting guests. I'll I'll tune in. I think he's a guy who's like, this is an interesting guy. He's obvious. He's clearly really good at what he does. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think a lot of people see it as a, as a skill, but I mean, it it is a skill to be able to have these hours long conversations and bring really good stuff out of guests and to be engaged with um, people for that long and to have a really engaging talk program. I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So he drives narrative like big time. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, there's others like him that that drive kind of narrative in, in a smaller way. But so anyway, when Joe Rogan comes out and says, I can't vote for Joe Biden, mm-hmm. you know, people really, people really pick up on that. Right. And it's a lot of Bernie supporters. I don't think the Bernie supporters are going to, are going to make it to, uh, to Joe Biden again, this time around, like they kind of, uh, didn't didn't go for Clinton the first time. I don't think they're going to go for Biden the second time. Anyway, all this is to say that Joe Rogan has this incredible influence. And I heard him talking about Obamagate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, and he's convinced that Obamagate is, is real because he saw YouTube videos about it. I'm not saying Joe Rogan's irresponsible, but it's like, he's not he's not an expert on in these things and he obviously knows how popular it is how many people listen to him how many people are taking his content in and being like i believe anything joe rogan says Mm -hmm. i mean i i'm a firm believer that it's uh, the consumer's responsibility to kind of intake the the content and then to make informed decisions i don't blame joe rogan at all Mm -hmm. um but but to buy in on this Obamagate, which is just basically um, the the idea that Michael Flynn should not have been questioned by the FBI. Mm-hmm. This is the well, this is what it boils down to: that he should not have been questioned by the FBI. That it's an FBI conspiracy to bring him in, question him, and then trip him up. Mm-hmm. Right. The idea that the outgoing administration led by Obama needed some dirt, needed to trip up Trump, needed to push the Russia narrative. And we're going to do this by creating a false reason to interview uh, Michael Flynn and then get him to lie to us and admit to lying. Mm -hmm. I mean, but he, so this whole story, this whole story is based on the fact that the FBI shouldn't be talking to him, but he lied to his own vice president about this conversation. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't create 
the condition for the FBI to talk to this guy. That's their job. Like, I don't, there's no, there, there's nothing there. So, but then you can go into it. You can read the transcripts uh, inside the White House. You can read um, about what Barack Obama was saying and, or what other people were saying. It's just like, we don't have enough, we don't know enough about the, uh, about Russia yet, or we don't have the, we aren't, we don't have facts that connect Trump to Russia yet. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's why they're talking to him. Mm-hmm. And so he should have the sophistication then when the FBI talks to him to not lie to the FBI, not lie to your vice president. And if you're, if you expect then that you're going to get away with that after you lied to, to one of those and then the other, I guess he did get away with it because we have a uh, water carrying uh, guy in Bill Barr. Justice. Yeah. The attorney general. Yeah who is uh, just doing whatever he's a political appointee, apparently like he's not supposed to be, but he's acting that way. I think that's one of the most dangerous kind of things that's percolating right now in terms of Trump, because it seems like he's setting this up then to prosecute based on Obamagate. Mm-hmm. And if that stuff starts happening, leading up to the election, yeah, uh, look out. Cause that's going to get crazy. Yeah. And it's, it, this is all like, yeah to not like hammer out the details of of what this whole thing is because it really doesn't make a lot of sense because and like you alluded to it their insistence their evidence of wrongdoing is actually just evidence of them doing people doing the job that they're supposed to do like they're 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 pulling out emails saying like look at we got to make sure that this is done by the book as somehow evidence that that's a nefarious statement that there's like some plot to set him up. So people just saying, look at, we need to be, do our job correctly. So as not to be, you know, politically motivated or whatever is now evidence that there's, there's some political motivation. The whole unmasking thing is also the same thing. It's like the fact that they would need to unmask this source, which ends up being Michael Flynn and phone calls means that there's something that needs to be investigated. They're looking at this phone call and saying, we need to investigate this because there's some it's it's a sh- it looks like a shady deal. So in order to do that, we have to know who's on the other end of the phone. And then by doing that, it's then, you know, evidence that there's some wrongdoing or some, you know, so it's the whole thing doesn't make sense. Um, and yeah, you're right about I, I agree with you about the Justice Department. It's like if you we, we start and I wonder how how far people will go along with this, but it seems like they're going to seems like a lot of people are willing to go along with it. You have a lot of senators and Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and a few others that are, that are again, pushing this out there. And I mean, Trump's base is very conspiratorial. I mean, just look at the QAnon thing that Trump alludes to all the time. He sends nods out to them and tweets and stuff. I've talked about QAnon a lot on this podcast about, you know, it's just these people that think there's all this deep space deep state conspiracy uh, out there. It's all corrupt. There's pedophile rings. There's eating babies. There's all all that stuff rolled in there. But Trump is the superhero of this conspiracy theory that's in there to clean up this, this mess. And to me, the Obamagate thing is a clear, he's clearly just throwing chum in the water for that, you know, because it's it, it goes along with that. So anyway, he's riling up his base on this. It'll be interesting to see how far it goes. The comp, the, the, 
the thing that I am really interested in is the Joe Rogan thing. Like, how is is he responsible? Is he, you know, how much responsibility should he take in this? I'm, a, I'm in firm agreement with you, Steve, that the audience needs to be uh, critical, but that's just not the way it works. And I'm also, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll listen to Rogan when he has interesting people on, but I've actually started to tune out because it's, yeah, it's to hear some of the stuff that he's talking about. And he's a known, like his whole thing forever has been conspiracy theories. So this kind of thing he's like jumps into because that's his, he loves that shit. So he's, yeah, kind of care, you know, maybe not, uh, I don't think he's doing it on purpose, but he's also then carrying the water for, for the Trump administration. Coleman, do you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, the responsibility a guy like Rogan would have for this or even just uh, what the fuck is going on with the administration in, 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 in using the Justice Department to process, to go after political uh, yeah. enemies? Well, the Obamagate thing, first of all, I think it's just the re it's like a rebranding of the the birth or the birther movement that mm -hmm. Trump started that kind of brought us to this point. It's not particularly original. Nothing from this administration is particularly original. It's like their their clear strategy is like this Obamagate thing will go on for a couple of weeks and then they'll come up with this new controversy and they'll throw it out in the media and no one will talk about it. It's like uh, how they how they were fired that one inspector general in the state department that was looking into um, the Saudi Arabia arms deal. Yeah. And then, a, yeah. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, Trump in a press conference is like, Oh, by the way, I'm taking this malaria medication for, uh, to prevent COVID-19. <laughs> but you, you think that, you think that had anything to do with the fact that he's actually taking it? It's like, no, they've just, they've created this, this machine that you just throw some new bullshit up in the air to cover up this, increasingly fascist thing he just did mm. and if if he is taking i guarantee you even if he says that he's they're probably telling him that he's getting those pills and it's like a flintstones vitamin or something like that <laughs> well he's and, on he is on speed though isn't he it's not isn't that fairly well documented well i don't know if it's documented yeah, the, i don't know he has the, picture of him eating the ta the taco bowl you know what I'm talking about? The picture of him office. with the loads of Sudafed in his drawer, yeah. Yeah, and his drawer's yeah. open. And you can when you look at his you look at his eyes balls. when he does yeah. some of these press conferences, like those are the eyes of someone that just snorted something. It's hopped up. And, he's, no. and he's also yeah. he also comes down from it. He all, and he also is that that's when he starts slurring and like just saying things that are just like, Oh my god, that's not you're not talking anymore, man. Mm -hmm. Close your mouth. Yeah. Those aren't anymore on uh, uh and a touch on rogan for a second he lost a yeah. lot of credibility for me when uh he had alex jones on because mm -hmm. yeah, alex jones really is interesting episode so yeah, for, like, for the reason of how uh polarizing it is mm -hmm. yeah and it's just like that's a guy that's like hurting the fabric of society or society by his existence and doesn't need the one thing rogan time. yeah and the one thing rogan does is he'll just have these guests on and then he can kind of walk away from responsibility of giving them and their ideas airtime by just saying, it's like, I'm just letting people get their ideas out or something like that. Yeah. But I think at some point when you become that big, even if you just started out as a comedy podcast, you have to take responsibility for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause he yeah. has like some, I don't listen to him a ton anymore, but he used to like, he'd have like Republican senators on and stuff like that people and they say their ideas and that's completely reasonable mm -hmm. but then once you get into this this conspiracy stuff 
if you're just like letting that in for, like you're giving a platform to those people to speak like you have to take some responsibility for the shitty things they say and push back or something yeah i don't know yeah and he doesn't push back at all and he can say and it's kind of like the the daily show used to have this thing and i i, I love the daily show john stewart but he would do this thing where he would not he said he didn't have to take responsibility because he's a comedy show but you're really not at that point mm-hmm but if I would say John Stewart was responsible in what he was doing. He was making jokes, yeah. yes, but he was also yeah, but he, yeah. He was he was responsible, but every once in a while they'd say it's like I don't have to take responsibility for this because we're a comedy show. Mm-hmm. And I think once you enter into political discourse like that, like no, you can't hide behind that anymore. You can't hide behind that you're a podcast just giving someone the chance to speak. Mm-hmm. If you're using your platform to give these people airtime, you, you're kind of responsible for what they say on it. But now we're talking specifically about like his and this is what this is, again, I think people are getting uh, upset with him about it is because they there is this really polarized environment. And Trump is such a polarizing figure that if he you know, when he was all when Rogan was for Bernie and he had Bernie on and stuff like people were like, yeah, that's great. You know, that's that's because that's what you want. That's what the, they wanted. And now that, you know, he's potentially, you know, swaying people to not vote for Biden and, you know, providing, you know, airtime to this conspiracy theory. And I didn't hear the episode specifically that you're referring to, Steve, but if he's like, if he himself is buying into it and talking about it in a way that's giving it credibility and stuff like that, when he's clearly uninformed, you know, and he, you know, he does the thing too, don't get your news from me. I'm just a comedian. I'm just that. But then, you know, yeah, I think there has to be some responsibility there because you can say that, but then if you turn around and speak as if you're an authority on something and maybe, you know, we don't know his intention. Maybe that's, maybe he's in his mind, he's not thinking I'm an authority on this. I'm a, this Obamagate thing is really, I've looked into it and it's this and it's that, but that's how it comes across. So I don't know. I'm really yeah. torn on it. I'm really torn on it. Yeah. It's a tough, uh, it's tough. I think, so he cited a video, a YouTube video, made by uh, Jimmy Dore, mm-hmm. who is a comedian slash political commentator, formerly of the Young Turks mm-hmm. network, but now kind of has an independent YouTube thing. And so he cited this Jimmy Dore video, but Jimmy Dore is also a conspiracy. He trends towards that kind of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this guy very much. I'm not. aware I don't of him, know. yeah. Through Rogan. So, yeah, through Rogan and through the Young Turks. Mm-hmm. But so, like, this is the thing, right? So we have mainstream media, like, uh, that people are largely unsatisfied with in a lot of ways. Like, the divide between, I don't know if you'd call, I'm going to call Fox mainstream media, yeah, even though. sure. Because they, cause of their following and because it's on cable television. But then CNN is kind of like, MSNBC are kind of like the antithesis to, to Fox on the other side, but not to the same extreme, obviously. Um, people are looking for alternative sources. People are just, aren't, aren't as satisfied with that anymore, right? So they turn to people like Rogan. Because right? there's an because, authenticity there, I think, that it comes across because it is and just a guy. Yeah. And it's entertaining. And he talks about a wide variety of topics. He doesn't hammer out the same goddamn story all the time like fox and cnn do mm-hmm. so um and people look at more newsy type people they look at like uh the hill as a popular youtube um news 
program called The Rising mm-hmm. that <clears throat> features uh, Crystal Ball as a pundit on there and and uh, Sagar. Uh, I don't know. I forget his last name, but so two people who are like known in, within the news circle. Mm-hmm. You say people. Crystal. Did you say Crystal Ball? Yeah, her name is Crystal Ball. Yeah, real name. I don't know if it's real or not, actually. But um, so like a gypsy or something? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a shtick. She doesn't come out like in a. In oh, a, I thought it was like, like Miss Cleo. In the old yeah, movie. yeah. No, she, she I just, was like, I'd watch that. Yeah, I'm going to get most of my uh, my news from fortune tellers now. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, this this is a program that presents as real news. And I mean, they get it right a lot. Like, I, I'll, I'll watch it from time to time. And, and they do get a lot of stuff right. And they do talk about a lot of things that, that don't necessarily get talked about. Mm-hmm. One of the things they did a tremendous job on was the, uh, the house uh, bailout bills version one two and three you know the nancy pelosi uh bills and they're they were largely they were highly critical of those um they they covered tara reed you know in a way where and and their take is no one's talking about this mm-hmm. right like joe biden went weeks and went through several interviews with respected reporters and no one even asked him. He has he has addressed it though, like since then. Yeah. But that was like four to six weeks into the story. Sure. Yeah. Right. It was the first time he was even asked about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could make covered a big argument though that they had to get the facts and that you know these things take time to investigate and stuff. But anyway, just saying. No, I know, but I mean, you have you have to admit there's a double standard. There. Yeah, I see your point, but yeah. Um, because we're we're. You know, when someone makes an allegation like this, I'm of the I'm I'm not of the um, mindset that you automatically believe everyone who says they're a victim of this type of crime. Um, but you give any investigation say, the same. Say, you do, but you have to listen to them. Yeah. You have to take it. And you should give you the investigation the same credibility that you would to any allegation. Well, I mean, the comparison that's made a lot is the. Uh, the uh, Christine Blasey Ford and the uh, mm-hmm. who's the Supreme Court? What's that guy's name again? Uh, yeah, Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, yeah, Brett Kavanaugh. And so, I mean, that was obviously a huge story where people, the way they're covering this is is they're taking runs at people who are looking at that case and and who are just so staunchly opposed to Brett Kavanaugh as a person because of this allegation or as a judge, but they, they don't say a single thing about the allegation against uh, Joe Biden or they do. And actually I did, um, I had an issue with how Andrew Yang talked about this on his podcast. I'm not sure if you listened to the Sam Harris episode, Brad, but um, Uh, not yet. Not. Yeah. So he, he his take Sam Harris asked him about it and he didn't press him too hard and I have an I I have a bit of an issue with that as well but he asked him about it and he said listen it, these types of things are their patterns right they if you are a mm. rapist mm-hmm. you're I a did hear that yeah. and um, so that's just a way in my mind to just dismiss it out of hand I I don't think that's I mean maybe he is a serial rapist. A, 
maybe there's others who haven't come forward. That's just a, that's just a really non, that, that's just kind of, and it, it goes to show that it's like, I think these are talking points that people are given in, in the, in the democratic party to, to uh, not, to just shut the conversation down about, uh, about it. Right. But mm-hmm. we, I don't think we can. But so anyway, there, yeah. I'll, I'll let you jump in in a second there, Brett, mm-hmm. but there's, there's all these alternate media programs, right. That people are, are turning to. Um, and I, the young Turks is another one. I think they were more popular a few years ago, but they're kind of, they're still out there. They're still largely popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have a lot of, they have a great uh, amount of influence. So, I mean, it's, it's important to get the news stories, right. Um, and unfortunately when it comes to Obamagate, a lot of these places are, are buying in and, uh, I think it's going to really add flames to it. And I, I, the story I don't think is going away because I think people are, uh, people are buying in. I think it's becoming a mainstream idea and it's a total rewriting of history. Mm -hmm. Bill Barr said in an interview recently, um, history is, or when asked, uh, how history will look back at this, this move to exonerate, Michael Flynn and he said history is written by the victor. Yeah. Which is a crazy thing to say. It's, yeah. By it's not the, even the hiding head it. of the Justice Department is just like, listen, I'm trying to rewrite history right now. So I, I hope it works. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. And uh, he is blatantly trying to do it. And some percentage of people are buying in. And Rogan's one of them. Yeah. And his 10 million listeners. Maybe they are too. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, it's difficult because it's like, how do you, you know, even, and this is the Trump strategy, I think, you know, they've, like Coleman said, they've, this is what they do is they throw these things out there and then move on to the next and it's just distract because it's, how do you cover something like this um, without giving it more credibility or, or oxygen, right? Like obviously as a, as a, as a journalist, you would want to, go in and say, well, let's look at the allegations, let's look at the facts and and report those. However, in this case, you can do that. There is, you look at the facts and there's nothing there. And so this is the real, this is the issue. And I think there's also an issue of, you know, you have alternative media sources, but then also like alternative media personalities or something. There's, there, there can be a distinction there because independent journalists making a show and a following on YouTube, but still doing journalism is different than comedians talking about politics or even what we're doing here, right? Like we're taught, we're guys that are just talking about our opinions on it, right? And trying to bring in the facts, you know, I'm not going to say that you guys haven't done your your research, Coleman, we can see him frantically looking things up on the fly. No. Um, but you know what I mean? So there's a difference there, right? Like, is it is it legitimate media, legitimate journalism being presented through a new platform like YouTube or Twitter, whatever, you know, whatever it is, or is it like alternative media in the sense that it's comedians presenting, you know, their, their opinions. And in Rogan, it's that John Stewart, obviously there was more, you know, research in it. John Oliver is another one. So there's, there's that kind of distinction too. Um, And are they, are these new sources, like, are they, are they fall, are they just falling into the same trap of, by reporting it, 
you're giving it more credibility and this like sort of fake balance. Like we have to treat these, you, you know, in order to seem balanced, you know, this is a critique of the mainstream media, a lot of the left mainstream media that they get all the time is like, in order to provide the semblance of balance so that we don't get criticized for being biased, we present the other side of this ridiculous claim as though it deserves the same treatment as you know, the obvious facts, you know what I mean? So Coleman, uh, we're going to start, let's start winding this down, but I, yeah, I don't know. That was just my, like I said, non-question, just throwing my thoughts out there and I'll let you jump in. So I know I could just see that you've done all this typing. So you, you must have something to say. I have an excellent recipe for lasagna. I've been looking up <laughs> going to that. No, I think people talk about, you have to put a you have to put a personal spin on the news where something like Obamagate, when you report it, you don't have to like give the other side time. You can just report on the facts. Mm-hmm. Just be like, just be like, well, they, President Trump says they trapped or tried to trap Michael Flynn and confessing to a crime he didn't commit, but they didn't. Yeah. And yeah, like, that's don't, don't ignore that's, it. Yeah. Don't that's like, it yeah, don't ignore it. it just, talk about it for what it is like this guy mm-hmm. is spewing bullshit and you don't even have to say like president trump is an idiot because he said this be like president trump said this this is why it's a lie yeah and as the, i think that's the way to report on trump and it's hard to do because like it's and like ratings are up all over the place because trump does bring in ratings for news yeah so or like a news channel but the lie but also like, travels just, further than the correction ever ever does you know yeah, and he just says this bullshit. And like just say, like, he said this bullshit today. This is why it's not true. It's gonna and now go to Tim with the weather. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think it needs to be debunked. I think if people want the the most thorough debunking that I've heard on this comes from uh Preet Barara, former uh district attorney for the Southern District of New York. Pretty high court, obviously, uh, to be the district attorney of uh, and he's got a podcast mm-hmm. and his, his, but everyone debunk- has a podcast now though. Everyone's got a podcast. Well, I mean, it, and full disclosure, he was fired by, he was fired by the Trump administration early on. Um, but to be fair, everyone's been fired by the Trump administration. Has. Yeah. Um, and to get out early, good for him. Um, but his, his debunking of this myth that comes from a, a, a vantage point of, you know, expertise the in yeah. the area, right. Mm-hmm. And the law. And, um, that's why, like, when you listen to Joe Rogan, or I'm just using him as a kind of a scapegoat now, or other people talk about this issue without, uh, like a thorough reading of, and, and knowledge of the laws that exist, you just can't even take them seriously. Right. So, if you want to learn about this, it's it's a pretty like, you know, nuanced thing. The laws around the FBI questioning and and who they'll question and why they might question them, and then why is it illegal to lie to the FBI and all this mm-hmm. type of stuff. Ask, uh, you know, talk to a prosecutor about it. Yeah, uh, seems like that would be a good source. York, you know, talk to legal experts. Don't listen to rogan and believe what he has to say on it mm-hmm. you know did rogan to enjoy it listen to for the for the funny stuff on it for the content but let's not be listening to him on this type type of uh, subject 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think with the news stories, there's such this desire that like, you have to be balanced now. And it's like, I don't think we have to give a, a false truth the same amount of time on air as an actual truth or a fact. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do we have to like give any time at all to why Trump's claims have any merit? They don't. They never do. Like, that's his entire shtick. Yeah. And it's like, maybe maybe that makes us left-wing lunatics, but if a guy goes in front of a microphone and lies constantly, I don't see why we have to give, like, any credence to what he says at all. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't you make you an... Are you a microphone right now, Coleman? Well, I'm lying right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't give anything that I say any credence either. Yeah, that's a bad idea. But also, I'm just a... I'm just a simple amateur podcast comedian. I don't have to take any responsibility for anything that I say. <laughs> well, I mean, I think this is this, you know, I mean, let's, let's really start wrapping this up here. I think the thing, part of this too is, yeah, this false balance. You see it with climate change stuff. You see it with anti-vax stuff where it's like these other sides of these, you know, arguments where there's overwhelming facts and scientific evidence on one side versus something some dumb dumb posted on twitter you know um it's bad it points to some of the problems with media and why people are getting distrustful or just they're losing their trust in the media and then i think there's also those politicians like trump that have learned to weaponize this and people haven't figured out how to how to combat uh how to how to combat that so yeah we need a vaccine for misinformation yeah yeah well yeah it, well and what is that what does that look like? I don't know, because the other the other playbook is to discredit um, experts. That's the other thing is that we can't trust these experts because they're biased. You know, they're you know shills of big pharma or whatever it is. So it's just this constant throwing mud in the water, as Steve Bannon puts it: flood the flood the zone and. It doesn't matter what's real anymore. Nobody knows what the fuck is real anymore. And this was like, you know, the promise of the internet was going to bring us all the information. And now it turns out, you know, like most of the people that are putting information out don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So we got to really oh, yeah, sift through this mountain of information. We were told like the internet's going to be this great place for everyone to get together and have lively debate and learn from one another. But all we did was we just sought out people that thought the same way that we do and just like dug in hard on our beliefs already. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's one thing. This, this could be the topic of the next episode. The whole other episode is, you know, this. These... No, the next topic is faking your own birth. We've decided that. But already. That's going to be a whole spinoff. That's got to be a whole spinoff podcast. We'll put that on another feed. So Netflix is interested. Yeah. 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 I hear they're giving everybody a show. So especially during these pandemic times. This we didn't really even touch on the, the the theory that Netflix created the pandemic to keep us all hooked on Netflix, which to me carries why a lot of think, water. Why do you think those 5G towers are going up? That's right. So people can watch high definition Netflix everywhere. That's right. That's right. All right guys, well, this has been a slice uh, a pleasure as always. Thanks for doing it. Um and yeah, we'll try and get get a few more of these out uh, on a more regular basis. So thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Brad. Always, Coleman. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, follow at Lionel Steel. He has some great photoshops. Oh, plugging his plugging oh, his Instagram. Plug in. Got to get the plug in. Uh, my apologies Damn. for not plugging it off the top. I I gotta say I'm a big fan of at Lionel Steel on Instagram. 
Loving great it. follow. Yeah. Great follow. Stuff. People are loving what he does. <laughs> Lionel knows what he's doing. All right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, again, please follow, rate, subscribe, do all that stuff. Uh, at Too Brad for you uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Get in touch with the show. Uh, I should maybe clear up one thing from my opening rant. I allege that Kenny's brother's treatment centers were shut down because of allegations of mis, uh, mistreatment. In fact, it was shut down because it was unli- unlicensed, and then the allegations of mistreatment came up. If you disagreed with anything else that you heard, or you want to fact check me on it, get in touch at Too Brad for you. Uh, I'm here to be corrected. I'm here to discuss. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.